Normally at this time I would have you stand and open the scriptures to an opening passage. The way I typically preach is by either taking a full book of the Bible and going verse by verse until we're done with it. But in recent months, really the past year and a half, been preaching strategically through different passages. This morning, I'm going to give you an overview of the entire series that we're going to be sharing each week. There are five main points this morning, and each of those points will, in the coming weeks, represent an entire message. Some of them will be two, maybe even three messages, but this morning I want to give you a big picture of who God has made us to be as New Bridge Church. What kind of church will we be? What will our community need to note about us? And how will we represent the Lord Jesus Christ in some very strange times in which we live? These are weird days to be a Christian. In one sense of the word, I don't know that the outlook, humanly speaking, for our culture has ever been darker. There are so many different forces that are converging together that are really going to purify the church of Jesus Christ. It's going to burn away all of our tradition, all of the crutches that we lean upon. The, when I say tradition, I mean those traditions that have nothing to do with the gospel. Some traditions are good, but I'm talking about cultural denominational expressions of Christianity that are foreign to the Bible, those are going to be burned away. Our Christianity, if I can put on the prophet's hat for a moment, our Christianity, my children's Christianity, if God so wills, my grandchildren's Christianity will cost us more in the future than it ever has in the past. And we cannot afford to be playing any form of games in this day and age in which we're living. And so it is upon your pastor's hearts here to lead this congregation into some clarity about who we are, what we will do, and probably more importantly, why are we going to do it? There is a why. King David asked at a battle scene one time when nobody was willing to fight the giant in the valley. King David asked in that old King James English, is there not a cause is there not a cause? And as we look around in our culture today and we see it bombarded with all sorts of opposition to the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the church of Jesus Christ, I would say every Christian needs to ask him or herself this question and then answer with a yes. Is there not a cause? And so let's get into the word this morning. I am, um, I am both filled spiritually and caffeinated biologically. So I am really, really stoked this morning. And some of y'all look maybe like you didn't shake the starch out before you got here today. Well, I'm going to help you shake the starch out this morning because we have a cause this morning to celebrate but also to embrace the purpose of God for this local assembly. And so with a stirred and a sobered heart, I quickly asked the Lord, Father, anoint the teaching this morning. And I ask you, Lord Jesus... Seal my lips off from anything that might not please you. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take a yielded mind and mouth and will pour into those that have willing and open hearts all sorts of goodness speaking about the future that you've assigned to us. I pray, Father, that hope will crush doubt this morning. I pray that optimism because of who you are, Lord, and what you have done, and what you have beaten, and what you offer, I pray that optimism will suffocate pessimism. I pray that, that joy will stifle out criticism. And I pray, Father, that we will never again be a people who maximize on what the challenges are, but, Lord, that we will maximize on what the charge is and from whom it comes. It is for your glory this morning that we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Every church has what I call a DNA. Not every church is meant to be the same. Uh, Not every church is going to have the same style of worship, the same uh, racial and generational makeup. Um, I believe that every church that can look like a reflection of heaven, both age-wise, both gender-wise, male and female, but also culturally and racially, I think that all churches ought to be a reflection of our culture, or excuse me, our community, and we are a reflection here. We are multi-generational. We are multi-ethnic. We are multinational. We have different generations, and the beautiful thing is, is it's not easy and to put aside those things that make us distinct from one another and focus on the one who makes us literally one in the spirit, it is not always easy to come up with a strategy that allows everybody to participate in the mission of a church. But I believe that where God ordains an assignment, he also ordains the ability to accomplish that assignment. And so that working together, we will see great things, not in years to come, but in weeks and months to come, if we will keep our hearts affixed on the Son of God. Today, I want to talk to you just in an overview overview about the DNA of um, Newbridge Church. And I'm going to ask you to follow along with me. Most of these verses are going to be up on the screen this morning, and they will be unpacked in weeks to come. So I want to begin with this statement. We are going to be a church, an assembly, a community of believers who are defined by our welcome and our warmth. Now, the gospel defines who we are, but I'm talking about our strategy to welcome people. Listen to this verse from the book of Romans, chapter number 15, verses 5 through 7. Listen to what Paul prayed for the church at Rome that was very diverse in its makeup. He said, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, watch this, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If you are a student of the New Testament, you know that in Romans 14 and Romans 15, Paul was having to referee a little bit as a, in his pastoral and apostolic role. He was having to help Christians who all love the Lord equally figure out what they needed to let go and what they needed to hold tight to. And some people believed X, Y, and Z was of supreme importance. Other people said those things aren't important at all. A, B, and C are important. And yet God had placed them all together in a community bound together by the blood blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, and the unifying Holy Spirit. And so Paul was telling them in Romans 14 and Romans 15 how to get along with each other. And he was telling them that their Christianity needed to be exemplified, needed to be exemplified in their welcoming of each other as one. Now, that sounds like such a simple idea, but do you know that we cannot do that in the flesh? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I hope nobody saws it off with a hard set of facts, but I'm going to go out on this limb. I'm going to say there's people in your life, your family, and your church that aren't easy to like for you. Three people said amen. The rest of you need to pray against the spirit of cowardice because you believe it too. 
There are people that are difficult to like. There are people that are difficult to walk with. There are difficult people that are difficult. I know that probably for some in my family, some in the church, I, I hope not my immediate family. I hope my wife and my kids like me, but some in the, in the, in the larger family, I know that not everybody's going to jive with me all the time. And I, it's the same way for me towards them. But we are called to war, be a warm people and a welcoming people. Look at the words that Paul chose. If you could throw that verse back up on the screen in Romans 15, those verses. He speaks of harmony. That's people not making the exact same sound, but bringing those sounds together for a beautiful overall sound. He says, work at it. And then it speaks of being in accord. That means that they're going to be parallel and they're going to be in concert with each other as where they are with Jesus Christ. And then he highlights the word together. And then he mentions with one voice. So you've got all these different people and you've got people that don't look the same. And in that church, you had Jew and you had Gentile and you had strict rule keepers. And then you had people that were liberated. You had the strong brothers that didn't need all the rules and the weaker brothers that said the rules really helped them. And Paul is telling them, I want you to learn how to be a welcoming people so that the witness and the worship that comes from you is literally one voice reaching up into heaven. And so, friends, we are told repeatedly in Scripture that one of the assignments that God gives to us as individual Christians and therefore as a collective body of believers is that we must welcome one another. Say amen if you will agree with these statements. Not everybody has to look like you. Not everybody has to think like you. Not everybody has to dress like you. Not everybody has to like the same music you like. That went better than I thought. So Jeff, you slipped that one in on us. Well, you got to be warm and welcoming to me. Sometimes I'll play you a little bit. But listen, the point being is this. We are here. We are the only people on the face of the planet. I'm talking to the born-again believer that are united for eternity. It has nothing to do with the external, the color of our skin, the origin of our nationality, neither male nor female. We are equal in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you live, how much you earn. We are united in none of those externals. We are united in the person of Christ. Now look, that is great theology, but Jesus doesn't leave it in the theological. He says, I want you to live with each other that way. And so that calls us to humble ourselves. Now when we're thinking also not about our own church, well, what about the people who come here? What about the people who don't know church, don't do church? You realize that the, the millennials and younger didn't grow up in your America. They didn't grow up in a cultural southern Bible Belt Christianity. They have grown up in schools that teach pluralism and schools that have, have just interjected their minds with all occasions to doubt the, the uh, singularity of the gospel, the exclusivity of the gospel. And so these young people didn't get it fed to them culturally. And so we have to say, how are we going to adjust our means of reaching them with a gospel that will never be adjusted? And so when we think about this, I'm going to make a bold statement here. Anybody and everybody, anyone and everyone who wants to is welcome to walk in the front doors of this place and they are we are obligated in the spirit of God as the person of Christ would do to receive them with a welcome and a warmth. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to make a clarification on that statement. That does not mean that we approve of everything. I think in our culture, we have, we have confused acceptance and approval. In other words, I can accept just about anybody. 
I can accept them with the dignity of being a human being created in the image of God. I can accept them as being beloved of the Father. I can accept them as candidates for the glorious gospel of Jesus by which they can be set free eternally from their sins. I can accept them like that, but that doesn't mean I approve of everything in their lives. In our culture today, the evangelical church is being pressured not to accept people, but to approve people. We, we, are not, we are not being asked to just accept them and love on them. We are being asked to violate our, our, our values and our views and our theology in order to say, we endorse what you believe. We endorse how you live. We endorse all of that. That's two different things. Amen. Friends, we will be a welcoming warming, accepting congregation, but at the same time, we are going to tell the truth. Amen. I love what Paul writes there, and this is just the first point, and I have five, and I see what time it is already. All right, Marcus. Marcus said I could take my time. (laughs) I want to give you this, and this is for you Bible scholars. I'm not considering myself one, but man. Logo software makes me feel like one sometimes. When he says in verse 7 of Romans 15, therefore, welcome one another, let me just give you something. It's not always clear in English translations what the original verb tense was, but this is what Paul is saying. The verb tense, and it is an imperative command. It's not a suggestion. It's not Paul saying, hey, think about welcoming one another. It's as binding as any other command in Scripture. The command of Christians is that we are to receive one another. And the word literally describes a a bringing in. It it can also mean to take into one's home. Sometimes it's used for eating, to internalize something. So Paul is saying in your relationships with other people, I want you to bring them as closely into you as you can. I want you to make them a part of the family. And by the way, the verb tense indicates this. You need to keep on doing it. The verb tense says begin immediately, and I'm not going to tell you when to stop. And the implication is never stop. All of you Christians, keep on receiving one another. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe that God has the ability to bring anybody that he wants through these doors. Yes, I believe that those people have to get in the car, crank it up, or walk here and walk in the doors physically. But I believe that God in our community is drawing people right now. And before they listen to me preach, and sometimes my preaching comes off a little abrasive or a little strong, and it can can unsettle people. But I'm going to tell you what most people will respond to. If they're loved at the front door, if they're loved in the small group, if they're loved by the greeters, if they're loved by the congregation, they're going to say there's something about about that place that just invites me to come back. I've got to keep going back. And I believe that same sovereign God will open up the eyes of their faith in the appointed time that some of those people will receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they will be eternally set free. But we must be a place intentionally of welcome and warmth. The second thing, and again, all of these are going to be unpacked, but let me hit the second one. We're going to be a place of of uh, our worship and wonder. I'm going to make a big statement and then I'm going to do my best not to run too far with it. Listen to me. Sunday mornings is primarily for the Christians to come together and worship their God. That is primarily what Sunday mornings are to be. The Sunday mornings at times can be evangelistic, 
They can be instructional in training. But for the general purpose of Newbridge Church, and it was the same way I believe at Cornerstone and Meadow before we came together to be one, the primary calling of Sunday morning is that we might wonder at the goodness of God and that we might worship him. That means it affects our minds that we may wonder. Some of you have lost your wonder of Jesus Christ. Some of you, are dare I say it, some of you are bored with God. Some of you have lost the sense of the overwhelming, awe-striking personhood of God. Some of you have not been stirred by the Holy Spirit in a long time. Now, that's not to say that by way of accusation. It is to, it's kind of like when you're hungry and somebody brings a steak by on a plate. You get the smell and you say, man, I remember that. I want to dig into that again. And I believe that this has got to become a place where we worship the Lord with wonder. That means there must be uh, the ongoing commitment of word and spirit. That is the anthem of New Bridge Church. You say, Jeff, what's the bridge all about? A couple of you, and I love you, but I just, I don't do well with details sometimes. Some have pointed out that, okay, the word bridge isn't in the Bible. Well, neither is the word trinity. There are some words that we use and some words that we employ that may not be found in any English translation, but what does the bridge mean? I think it's a valid question. We're talking about bridging many things, but we're talking about this, bridging the word and the spirit. Why? Because churches have traditionally been separated. You're either, Bible, you're either a Bible church or a spirit church, and the spirit churches sometimes haven't done the best jobs of maintaining a, a loyalty to the boundaries of Scripture, and sometimes the word churches have completely ignored the Holy Spirit. And so what has God placed on our hearts? God is returning people to a place where the Word and the Spirit are what defines the New Testament church. Not our modes of baptism, not our evangelistic programs, not our discipleship programs, not the tone of our music, not whether we do this or that, but what defines the people of God? Apostolic doctrine and the indwelling power and gifting of the Holy Spirit. And so we must remain a people like that. And as we are, friends, I'm going to tell you something. It is going to enrich our worship because we will be theologically grounded. That's like the anchor. But we will also be lifted up on the heights. That's like the mainsail. So if we want a picture of the gospel ship or the ship of Newbridge moving forward, we've got an anchor to hold us, but we've also got a mainsail to take us to where God wants us to go. And so when we think about this, let me give you a few things that will define our worship here, and then I'll move on to the next point. We know that Jesus said this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So nobody can can, can claim that this is a unique idea of marrying word and spirit. It, It sources itself in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. This is not some new trend. This is returning to what Jesus said about the people of God, that we must, not that we should or not that we could, but we must worship him in spirit and truth. What does that involve? Worshiping in the word. Worshiping through prayer and intercession. Worshiping with an attitude of sacrifice. Remember what King David said? Somebody offered David a piece of land for free that he could raise up an altar unto the Lord. And David said, I'm not taking that for free. And the guy said, you ought to take it for free. I'll give you everything you need to sacrifice and worship the Lord. And King David made a bold statement that we need to recapture. He said, I won't offer anything to the Lord from that which costs me nothing. Meaning the implication of the Christian life is that we are people who sacrifice unto a God who has already paid the ultimate sacrifice. We don't sacrifice to get something. We sacrifice because we already have everything. So we've already been granted everything we need. Y'all ain't with me this morning, but some of you are going to get there. Come on. 
Worshiping with an attitude of sacrifice. Worshiping in music. Listen, God's people, the, the one lasting activity for all of eternity. Some of y'all are going to be happy to know there won't be any preaching in heaven per se. Why? Because you'll know everything. <laughs> I'll be out of a job, but I'm going to get in on the worship. Because worship is the enduring activity of heaven, and there will be singing, and there will be anthems for all of the ages. And so we are going to continue to work hard. Y'all have been so patient. The music team has been so patient. This is hard to bring two teams from two different places to try to figure out just the basic fundamental foundations of how we are going to express our gratitude to God. And what we know is this. We can't get it all done on Sunday mornings. So we're working on uh, coming up with a monthly Friday night worship time where it's going to be no time limit, no, no scriptedness, just music, praise, intercession, and ministering to people hands-on. That'll be coming up, Lord willing, beginning either late this month or early next month. And that is going to be our thirst services. Why? Because, yeah, I mean, that's good. Because we can't express all that God has done for us in an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We need a little bit more of an outlet to do this. And so we will continue to work on and work through music. And I want to say, just as one of the pastors and Dustin is in agreement with me, I am so grateful for those that are down here every Thursday night practicing for our sound techs that are making sure that what goes out sounds as good as it can on TV and on the live stream. And listen, we work hard to make sure our worship is acceptable to the Lord. So pray for us. Pray for us. Don't send anonymous emails anymore. Those don't work. Prayer works. Amen. <laughs> Worshiping with abandon. I am never getting through this sermon this morning. Worshiping with abandon. What does that mean? You'll know it when you see it. Worshiping with abandon occurs in an individual's life where they are so caught up in the person and the presence of Christ that in those moments they are ministering and worshiping before an audience of one. And for some people, that means they will stand completely still and quiet and they will weep because their abandonment leaks out in tears of gratitude and brokenness, and that is valid. They may never dance, they may never jump, they may never shout, but don't you dare judge people like that because they are abandoning themselves under the Lord, and that's how they express it. Then others are more exuberant and extroverted, and that means they can't, they can't contain that means they're not going to keep their hands down. I mean, the, the Gadarene demoniac broke out of shackles. I mean, he did that by the power of the enemy. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that when God really moves, we're just going to be like this. Sometimes you just end up cutting loose. Sometimes you abandon yourself and you say, Lord, I don't care. How many of you have ever been embarrassed after the fact about how you worshiped earlier in the day? Anybody done that? Are y'all here this morning? I'm going to preach to me. Amen, Jeff. Amen, brother. There have been times where I've left the church and I've, I've said, oh, man, I can't believe I really did that. And <clears throat> I even got away with it. Hallelujah. <laughs> it just happens sometimes. And listen, we're not going to make theater. We're not going to make sport. And you have elders here and you have leaders here that would never want anything to be an ongoing distraction. And we understand some of that stuff can be done in the energy of the flesh. But I'm just going to tell you something. It's too late in the game for me to say, well, because it could be imitated in the flesh, we're not going to actually allow for it in the spirit. I mean, don't you know that the devil counterfeits everything God does? And sometimes because he counterfeits it enough, God's people leave off of the authenticity of the experience. And so we're talking about worshiping with abandon. Maybe most importantly for Newbridge, worshiping together. No solo flying. No mavericks. No lone rangers. Listen, if you're a covenant member of this assembly, 
I'm going I'm to tell you, so often we live in a consumeristic society, and so society has trained people to say, what's this church going to do for me? Just like you would Best Buy, just like you would Macy's, just like you would DSW Shoes. You're going in there, and you're looking for a bargain. You're looking for a sale. You're looking for something that satisfies you. I want to tell you something. We're committed to ministering to people. We want to help people with the most important issues of life. We want to love on you, but we are not here to find out what's the latest wind that's blowing, and let's try to maximize that. Brothers and sisters, listen, we're going to worship together, and part of that togetherness is <clears throat> you need to come when we gather. Hey, if you're watching on live stream, I love you, and I thank God that some of you could not be here today and can't ever get out of the house. And we are so thankful for technology that allows us to pipe this into your home. But if you're able-bodied and you're just sitting there with your Bible and your pen and your notebook and you could have gone somewhere to worship with the saints of God, come on, come down here next time and be a part of what God is doing. And if not here, then find a place in your community. Why? Because you can't get fellowship through an 8-inch monitor. You, you've got to connect with the people of God. And so let me tell you, though, it's spring break week, and I understand we got a lot of people out today. I'm not, I'm not a legalist when it comes to this, but some of y'all have liberated yourself to the point of being disobedient. That landed. I don't, I don't have to go. I can just, you know, do this, that, or not. No, listen to me. Listen. When we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves his bride. And so if we're walking in the spirit, we're going to want to connect as the people of God as often as possible. So if you're physically able, come. Simple point. Moving to the next thought, our wisdom and our witness. And please remember with me, you don't have to get all of this today. Uh, This is going to be unpacked further in weeks to come, but today, overview. Our wisdom and our witness. Let me just kind of touch on something that is really part and parcel of what my job is here. Dustin Pennington has gifts that I will never have. I am so, let me just say this while he's not here today so it doesn't flatter him in any way. You don't think I'm flattering. I I can tell you this. I am so grateful to partner with him as co-lead pastors of this assembly. His gifting is distinct and different from mine, mine from his, and you would think that it would be oil and water that would never mix, but I'm going to tell you, it's something like an Arnold Palmer. It's sweet tea and lemonade, amen. That was good, come on. And, and, and it just works. And so I am so blessed, but one of my primary roles is I'm going to be the primary teaching, preaching pastor. Dustin is just, he's killing it in other areas right now, and he'll be up here periodically too because I get blessed hearing him. But when we get to this point, our wisdom and our witness, let me just help you understand what part of my passion is. It is wisdom for the saved. And that comes out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. Look up on the screen. Speaking of Christ, it says he gave to the church, implied, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up unto him in every way who is the head, that is, Christ. Friends, listen, 
I get it, man. I, I just want to be so transparent with you. I understand what a lot of churches are doing. And I am not going to be the guy ever again in my life that throws stones at other churches. Paul said this. Paul said, one person preaches out of envy and strife. One preaches to add affliction to my bonds. Paul, the apostle, said as he's sitting in jail, he goes, what do I care as long as Christ is preached? And I have said, Apostle Paul, if that was good enough for you, that's got to be good enough for me. I'm not going to be the guy who throws stones at other churches where we might differ. But I am going to say this. I'm going to give an account for how I did my part in shepherding this church. And the thing that God pulses through my spiritual veins is, Jeff, don't ever keep telling the truth. Uh, don't ever stop <laughs> telling. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Thank God that there is editing on the back end of this sermon before it goes on television. Don't ever stop telling the truth. I wish I could press rewind on that. But, but the Lord just, I mean, listen, I don't have anything to offer, to offer you other than the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't, you don't need to care about my traditions. I, frankly, I love you. I don't care about yours. We don't need to know how Grandpa did it or Uncle Sal or any of these people. I don't care how they used to do it. What I'm saying is this is our generation. This is our community. This is his gospel. This is our calling. And he's opened the doors wide for us to impact people. The gospel still works. The truth is still still the answer, not just Jesus came, lived, died, and rose, and ascended, and is coming again, but all of the Bible speaking of the truth of God's word. And the Bible here in those verses I just read lets me know as a spiritual leader that my job never is done. Why? Because it's not finished until everybody is presented mature in Christ, and there's always going to be the need for maturation in the body of Christ, and so my job's never done. I promise you something before I move to the next point. As a pastor whose primary calling is to motivate and equip believers so that they may live their life passionately for Jesus, I want to make you a promise. I am going to preach the Bible. I'm going to share the truth. It's going to be difficult at times. It's going to challenge us. At times, it's going to cut us. It's going to leave me unpopular with certain segments of the society. But I don't care at this point. I'm going to give an answer to the Son of God one day, and I don't want to have to apologize. Amen. And so he's going to raise up people in this assembly. Some of you are, are there. You're the raw material. And for whatever reason, your, your, your calling either hasn't been answered or it hasn't been discerned yet. But it can't be done by a handful of people. I mean, we see here apostles and prophets, and one of the most understated offices in the fivefold ministry is the evangelist, and what he or she means to the church that we need people whose primary passion and their singular vision is to reach others with the gospel. They don't want to get involved in this or that on the sidelines. They're all about bringing the gospel to people that are dying without Jesus, and we need some of you to be raised up and to answer that call, but in order to do that, you're going to have to let the other stuff go. You're a vital part of what God's going to do here. And may he raise up many in this place, male and female, young and old, who have a compassion and a burden for those that are dying without the gospel and going to hell apart from Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the next part. Our wisdom and our witness is not only wisdom for the saved, but our witness to the lost, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria, and under the ends of the earth, we are commissioned to take the gospel and the message as a community of believers. Everything that we are doing 
needs to have some point of anchoring in the Great Commission that we are to win the lost and disciple the lost and then equip, uh, excuse me, disciple the saved and then send the saved out to repeat that process. That's how you got saved, by the way. You got saved because somebody in the generation before you properly stewarded their commission from Jesus Christ. Somebody came to you, whether it was a preacher or a parent or a grandparent or a neighbor, somebody said, I, I, I love this soul and they need Jesus and so I'm going to pour truth into them and I'm going to soak them with prayer so that one day they will be saved. And friends, listen, I'm all for ministry of every sort. I, just, I, I think we assume God's lost his creativity. That God is still saying, no, I, I got it right in the 1950s and that's the way it's going to be from now on. Listen, God has never stopped being creative. He's much more creative than we give him credit for. It's us who play it safe. It is we. We are the ones who, who, who just try to keep it the way that we've kept it because it satisfies our security and our comfort zone. But listen, if we're going to do all of this breadth of ministry, I'm all for it. But not at the expense of forfeiting our, our, our primary calling and purpose here, and that is to reach and impact people with the gospel. I want to have a flourishing kids ministry. I thank God for the summer camps. Me and my two children are going to go with Christopher Peterson to the camp along with a lot of other kids. And I hope some of you folks that came from Meadow will let your primary grade school kids go to the camp with us this summer because it's going to be about just awakening them to the kingdom of God. And I want to have a thriving youth ministry. I thank God for Nick Kelly and Casey and those that are pouring into our young people. I want that. They need to be able to walk out the gospel as God has made them in their generation. And it's not going to look like the baby boomer generation. It's just not. It's not going to look like the Gen X generation, which I'm a part of. But friends, if we do all of this stuff, but we're not winning people and discipling them into Christ, then we're missing it. So we move on to this next part, our wealth and our work. Yeah, this is where it comes to um, our hands and our wallets. But I want to start with a proper motivation. Think about the spiritual wealth you've received. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. It's not instruction, it's doxology. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Paul is writing, he's talking about the sovereignty of God. He's talking about the gift of, of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. He's talking about just the glory of God in his saving of sinners. And it's almost like Paul just has to stop and say, all right, I got to take a break from the doctrine for a moment. I just got to get my worship groove on. He just says, oh, how, uh, oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You are living in a hectic generation, friend. Most of us are far too busy than we should be. We are. Some of us have now said, yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. And we failed to inspect the reality. There probably is a few things we could do, but we're so caught in the grind of life. We're addicted to our eye calendars. We're addicted to our reminders dinging on our phone and checking our emails and tweeting and Facebooking and all of these things that uh, have, have just kind of encroached upon our life. And there's very little quiet in your life. There's very little ease in your life anymore. There's very little tranquility and calm. And I'm firmly believing this. 
unless I carve that out for myself, I will never have it again. And I will lose my ability to push back from the desk and say, oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of you, God. And I'll lose my wonder, and I'll try to squeeze in my worship on Sundays. Some Sundays it'll be great. Most Sundays it wouldn't be. Why? Because I've been detached from the very person to whom I pledged my soul and my life. I want us to strike a holy, healthy balance in the realities that a lot of life is dictated to us. Most of you will have to get up and go to work tomorrow, and there's not a thing you can do about it. I get that. I'm not being unrealistic here. But what I'm saying is, in light of the things you have to do, how are you orchestrating the opportunity to do what you want to do? And don't you want to grow closer to him? Don't you want to go deeper with him? And how in the world can we go on saying, well, I'm sure it'll happen someday? It doesn't. We have received such spiritual treasure, and it is from that moment of catapulting, spiritually speaking, that we we must say, okay, because I have received unspeakable gift and blessing from God in the person of Christ. Therefore, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I belong to you, Lord. You know, we sing about that. Guys like me preach about that. But how often do we stop and just say in moment-to-moment decisions, this is how I'm going to flesh that truth out? How do you flesh out in your day-to-day living that your whole life belongs to Jesus? Yeah, this isn't seeker-friendly preaching right here. This is disciple-making preaching. Where you say, yeah, he's my everything. You know, that climactic moment in the Sunday morning triumph song. He's my everything. And the moment the offering plate comes out, you're like, "Mm, not so much. (laughs) Spiritual wealth and your awareness of it is the launching point for your commitments to Jesus. Not guilt. That last statement was a little guilt-inducing, but every now and then you might need one of those. But I I don't serve the Lord because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. I don't, I don't give unto the Lord because I'm afraid he might dry up my bank account if I don't. Now, he may do that, but that's not why I, I give unto the Lord. Um, let, let's get down into Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. When we're talking about a place where we are going to invest our wealth and our work, material wealth has to be invested. Listen to me, I almost never preach on money. I need to do it more often, to be honest with you, because I just think some people don't get it. But look at Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That is so simple. My fifth grader could understand that. You'd have to hire a team of attorneys to confuse you about what that means. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That just means when you, when you receive your wealth, whether it's a paycheck or an inheritance or, 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 or some deposit financially to you, you just honor the Lord. You don't, you don't, you know, try to find the least amount you can give or you don't out of guilt give, you know, as much as you can. You, you just get before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. You have fed me. You have sheltered me. You have clothed me. And I want to give under your work. And I want to be the same proportional giver that you are to me, which is lavish. Friends, I'm going to tell you, this is the year that some of you need to grow in your faith and migrate away from that penny 10%. It's good to tithe. It's good to tithe. I'm not, I'm not preaching against the tithe, but I'm saying this. That doesn't take an extreme amount of faith because it's commanded. 
We see in Scripture that the least that the people of God ever gave was the tithe. But some of you need to grow in this area and become lavish, generous givers. Instead of living in fear of, do I keep enough? Have I kept enough? Do I have enough? Friends, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. For most of you that are under 70 in this room, Jesus is going to come back in your lifetime, and you're going to have these big storehouses, and the Antichrist and his cronies are going to get all of your money anyway. I believe that. You're going to be sitting there one day, you're five months away from retirement, and you've got this massive nest egg. And in part, it's massive because you never gave like you could have under the Lord during your life. But you've got this massive nest egg, and the second coming is going to happen. And you're not going to get to spend any of it. And the Antichrist is going to get say, thank you for doing my work for me. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, if you're ever going to be a generous giver, it's during this lifetime. This is the time to do it. Yeah, I knew I wouldn't get as many amens out of that, but it still needs to be said. Listen, I, I, I love to give. I can tell you, if you ever want to know what I give, I have no problems. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not proud about it. If you ever want to know what I give, call our financial secretary, Jill Rakestraw. She'll never tell me. You call and say, hey, what did the pastor give last year? Do that. Now, I'm not boasting about it. What I'm saying is this. i got a clean conscience before God about what I give. My conscience is clean before the Lord about that, so I, I couldn't care less what other people think. Maybe it'll motivate some of us. Some of us, oh, I can't get off of this. Some of us are so blessed in the temporary. We're blessed financially. Some of us are blessed in the here and now, and yet we've not entered into that maturity level of giving lavishly unto the Lord. Y'all know that we're going to be doing a roof repair over here. If you were in small group today, you heard a little bit about that. And one of the things right after the service that we're doing is we're getting inventive uh, inventive about how we can raise some money. We've got a couple in our church that loves to bake and they love to do meal ministry. And they said, we will make massive quantities of lasagna. We will donate our time and our effort. We will sell it and every dime that comes in, we'll put towards reducing the roof. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, I have eaten some of that lasagna and it is good. And that's a person saying, okay, here's what I have to offer to be able to make something happen. And listen, you don't have, if you say, Jeff, I don't like lasagna. Well, do you like writing a check so we can get the roof fixed? Amen. (laughs) You just got to find your motivation in this thing. Had a sweet elderly lady come to me a couple of, probably last month, and she said, Pastor, I want to give this. And this almost never happens. I really don't want you to do this, but this was a good moment for me and her. We have a great relationship. She handed a check for $10,000 made out to church. She said, let's get that roof fixed. Yep. Now, listen, most of us can't do that. But I'm just going to do this. And and listen, I do this about once every three years, and it's it's to motivate you. I'm going to give 1,000, and I pray that there's 10 people in the church that will match that 1,000 with me. Some of you said, Jeff, I could never do 1,000. What can you do? Let's get the roof paid off. Let's just get the roof fixed so the showers of blessing remain on the outside of the church on Sunday mornings, amen? And so if you want to get involved in this, this is an opportunity strategically to get say, okay, I'm a kingdom woman. I'm a kingdom man. It, we don't have to overthink it. Let's take care of God's house. Let's just get this thing done. And then your regular giving and then your missions giving, there are so many things that can be done around here. But the first key is that we must become a people of wealth and work. Romans 12, 10 through 11, I've got to get done. I I see the clock. Matter of fact, I'm just going to end here, and I'm going to leave the last point uh, for a different day. Sacrificial work rendered. Look at what Paul says. Love one another. Say that with me. Love one another. Let's say it a couple of times. Love one another. One more time. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another. Let's say that. Outdo one another. Again, outdo one another. One more time. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. And then three, rat-a-tat-tat, serve the Lord. I love this. Serving God is connected with loving people, which is connected to kingdom zeal. I've already kind of offended a few people this morning, so let's just go for it. I want to be an equal opportunity offender. Listen, Lord, help me. Some in the body of Christ need to repent of laziness. To repent of perpetual excuses and laziness. You will always have a convenient reason for not accomplishing what God has empowered you to accomplish. You will always have it. You know why? Because your flesh will give you the excuse. If your flesh happens to not give you the excuse, then circumstances in the world will give you an excuse. And then if neither of those get to you in time, somehow, I don't know how the enemy does it, but he's got plenty of demonic associates where he can encourage you just to pull back, lay low, and leave it to the others. The word of God is so clear, and I'm about as grace-motivated as anybody. But friends, listen, I do believe that this, I've seen this, I've been saved 20-something years, and I have seen this shift in, in just the time I've walked with Jesus. It seems that the the new norm is that in a lot of places, well, let's just pay the professional clergy to do all the work. And that's not the case here. I'm not saying that's the case here, but it is an overall mindset, and it's likely the mindset of some that attend here. The Bible says that ultimately as a Christian, I'm going to stand and give an account to the Lord Jesus for what I did with this life. That, that's, a, that's plain as day in the scripture. That I'm going, Jeff Lyle's going to answer before the Lord Jesus Christ about what I did as a Christian with the life that he gave me. And I, I, I want to speak especially to young men. Guys, um, it may be time for you to move out of your parents' house. Stop acting 12. Get a job. Pay your bills or finish your education. But don't wait till all that's accomplished before you start serving Jesus Christ. Brother, I want to tell you something. Listen, some powerful momentum historically has come through the church through young people. Most of the time, revivals begin not with the aged, but with the young. And if we lose a generation of young people to Netflix and the Xbox then who, through whom is revival going to come? Now, it can come from anybody, but I'm talking if a broad-scale generation of young men and women are buying into the thing that nothing matters anymore, and they've grown slothful about the kingdom, and they've taken on the mantle of a shrug, their life motto is a shrug. No, friends. 
You were bought with the blood of Jesus. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been taken from death to life, from darkness to light. You're a child of the God. You're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. You're more than a conqueror. You are a hyper warrior in Jesus. You will stand at the end of the age and you will look upon Satan, the false prophet and the beast and every demon. And you will say, as prophesied in Isaiah, is this the one who troubled the nations? The Bible says we will squint down on him and we will say to the enemy, are you the one that actually troubled the nations? Why will we say that? Because we'll be standing in triumph over him. So that is why we serve. That is why we sacrifice. That is why we work together. And what I'm praying and what your leaders are praying in this assembly of Newbridge at this time is that God will take a beautiful hammer and start striking on the anvil of our hearts, forming and fashioning whatever he lays on there to raise it up as a weapon for the glory of Jesus in our generation. I'm going to read something and then I'm going to be done. I'm, I'm even putting away my notes as a safeguard so I don't preach anymore. I'm, ju- I'm just going to read this. But listen, if there was one other place I could be this weekend, it would have been in Los Angeles, California for the One Call Conference with Lou Engle. Lou Engle stood on this stage uh, a month ago at the 10 Conference. And when he learned about what God was doing between Cornerstone and Meadow, bringing a formerly Assemblies of God church with a Baptist church and bringing them together, Lou Engle prophesied over this work and he said, this is an indicator of what God is doing in the kingdom. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied on the day of his death, I think it was 70 years ago, something like that, he prophesied that at the end of the age before the return of Jesus, there would be a merge of a, a return of word and spirit coming together to define churches. I never knew any of that before last week. And so this is what we see happening. This is answering the question, what is God doing? What is God doing? Not that what have we done, not to what do we want to do, but God, Father, what are you doing and how can we get in on it? And so Lou Engle is gathered with, I think they approximated 100,000 Christians in L.A. this weekend. They'll wrap up today. They rented the, the, the Coliseum out there in L.A., And it's been two days of worship and intercession, racial unity, and uh, unity in the church, restoring that to the people of God. It's in celebration of the 110th anniversary of the outpouring at Azusa Street. And so what we are doing is saying, Lord, what you have done before, you can do now and you can do greater now. But, Lord, we're not going to presume that you'll do it apart from our desire. We want to tell you, God, we long for your glory. We long for you to move. We long for awakening. We long for revival. We're done with religion. We're done with orthodoxy. We're done with dead tradition. We want you, Father. And so Lou Engle, I said I was done preaching, I am. Lou Engle said this. He, he led the people in the covenant this week, and it's written out. And I'm just going to read it. And then worship team, y'all come on up. This is what the covenant was or is at the, at the, uh, uh, the One Call Conference out there, the Azusa Now Conference. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who keeps covenant, who is slow to anger and who abounds in mercy. We know the great cry of your son is that we would be one as you are one. And that we would love one another so that the world may know that we are your disciples. We acknowledge that we have broken covenant with you and with one another. And because of that disunity, the body of your son is broken. Therefore, by your grace, we covenant to speak the truth in love, not criticism and accusation. We guard our lips from speech that accuses and wounds the beautiful body of Christ. We acknowledge that we can challenge one another as brothers and friends, but always in love, for love is the greatest of all. 
Therefore, we covenant by your grace to renounce our partnership with the accuser of the brethren. By your grace, we proclaim liberty to those we have held in bondage through our bitterness and unforgiveness and to fully forgive from the heart those who have wounded and betrayed us. We covenant by your grace to bless the many expressions of true historic faith. Lord, we thank you that you keep covenant with us, that you are slow to anger and abounding in mercy.